Thanks for listening to the weekly teaching podcast for City Church in Knoxville, Tennessee. It is our desire to be a Jesus-centered family on mission. If you live here in Knoxville or are ever visiting the area, we'd love to have you with us at one of our Sunday gatherings. You can find out more at citychurchknox.com. If you're interested in giving financially to help us reach more people in our city, you can give easily at citychurchknox.com give. And finally, if this teaching is helpful to you in any way, we'd love to hear about it. You can email us at info at citychurchknox.com. With that being said, here's this week's teaching. Good morning, everybody. Uh, my name is Eric. Like he just said, if I haven't met you yet, I'm on staff here. I'd love to to get to meet you at some point. Um, if you are just now joining us uh, for the first time or the first time in a while, we are getting near the end of a series all about uh, the Ten Commandments. Um, so to be completely honest with you, uh, which we try to do as much as possible, I haven't, uh, I haven't been super thrilled about getting to this week in particular. Um, obviously, I think there are elements of every one of the commandments that we are going through that apply to all of our lives in some way. Uh, I, don't, I don't think they would necessarily be the top ten, as it were, uh, if not. If it wasn't uh, applicable across the board in some form or fashion. This week, though, like, uh, like Kevin just said, we are talking about the commandment to not steal. And so when we first were talking through this series, and we decided that I was going to teach this week, I thought that it would mostly be conceptual, that I'd do my best to maybe draw some personal connections where I could, uh, based on some experience that I've had in my life, but in general, I didn't really think that this week would feel all that personal to most of us uh, in general. Uh, And then about two months ago, uh, we had to fire one of our staff members for ongoingly stealing from our church. Um, If you have no idea what I'm talking about, feel free to ask someone near you. Uh, at some point, not right now, it'd be great if you would wait until, until we're done. But suffice it, suffice it to say, uh, this one actually hits a little closer to home for us uh, here these days, uh, especially more than I originally thought that we, that we were going to have. So I would love to pray for us again uh, real quick, and then we can jump in. Uh, Dear Heavenly Father, we just uh, we come before you... Um, yeah, we just come before you with humility that uh, we, are, we are abundantly aware of, of uh, just how, how much bigger than us you are and how, how much further outside our day-to-day lives you can see and that you understand. And I just pray that we can lean on your understanding and lean on your wisdom and lean on your, your strength and grace and love as we uh, talk through your word today. And just bless our time. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Uh, so in case you missed it a second ago, the command for today comes from Deuteronomy chapter 5, verse 19. It's not hard to remember. It says, you shall not steal. Pretty straightforward. So I think the concept of stealing in general, uh, the, the idea of stealing is pretty straightforward and most likely pretty well understood by most people. Uh, even people who steal often are pretty clear on the fact that they are indeed stealing. Right? Nobody who is ongoingly stealing is like, but what is stealing, really? You know? I think it's uh, more like involuntary reallocation of resources, metaphorically. Uh, no. People who are stealing are like, yeah, I'm stealing. It's pretty straightforward. No one is confused about it. It's not that abstract. 
Um, but for our purposes today, I, I want to offer uh, what I would call general mindset to, to the way that we approach this idea of stealing, or, or the general mindset that applies to stealing in most situations. I think at its core, stealing says something along the lines of, you lose so that I can gain. That is at the core of stealing. It's this mentality that there's something that I desire, something that I feel like I need that is not mine currently, and I will do what I can to gain that thing, regardless of how it impacts someone else. Right? I'm fine with someone else losing whatever it is as long as it means that I can gain it. And so th- this is one of the commands, I think, like I said, it's pretty well understood, but I also think it's pretty much everybody agrees with this one on the surface. I think a lot of that is because our first reaction to hearing this command is to think about the reality of being stolen from, right? And and that makes everyone have a reflexive, almost painful response inside of them. Everybody hates that idea. But I think the concept of stealing at its core actually plays out in a lot of different ways in life. And, And some of them, I think, are a little bit surprising, or they may be surprising to you. Um, We're going to dive into several of those in just a second, but before we do, I want to uh, take everybody on a little journey through time, right? Way back, way back when. I want us to look at the very first example of stealing that we have on record. We we don't have to look far in Scripture to find the first instance of stealing. You may not actually know that this is a story about stealing, but it is. Um, So I'm going to put these on screen so that you don't have to turn there. Uh, but first, we are going to look at Genesis chapter 1. Don't have to go very far. Uh, so I'm going to read from Genesis 1, Genesis 2, and Genesis 3. So Genesis 1.29 says this. Then God said, I give you, that you as Adam and Eve here, I give you every seed-bearing plant on the face of the whole earth and every tree that has fruit with seed in it. They will be yours for food. So God lets his creation know. He tells them, hey, you are fully provided for. You will never want for food. You will never need to wonder where your next meal is coming from. You will never have to be stressed about having everything you need. I am giving it all to you. You have everything that you need. And then God reiterates this provision for his creation in chapter 2, and then he adds an additional command to it. So we'll look at chapter 2, verses 16 and 17. It says, and the Lord God commanded the man, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat of it, you will certainly die. So God reiterates, I have given you everything you need, every tree in the garden you can eat from. I've given you in abundance, not just what you need, you've got options, tons of options. You will never want for anything. But I am commanding you to not eat from this singular tree in the midst of all the other ones that I have given you. So at the very beginning of this series, if you remember back or if you, if you need a reminder, we actually talked about that God is the only one who is able to determine good and evil, what, what those things are at their core. God is the only one who has knowledge, true knowledge of good and evil. And, and because of that, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil belongs to God. That's something we talked about at the very beginning of this series. And so God said to his creation, he said, I give you all of these things, any of these trees that you want to pick from. You can have them, but, but that tree is mine. And if you know the story, you know what happens next. Uh, but I'll show you real quick. 
Genesis chapter three, verse six. It says, when the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. So Adam and Eve had everything that they needed. They were fully provided for. But they were deceived and they were tempted and they ended up believing this lie that God was holding out on them in some way. So, so they decided it would actually be better for them, they would be better off if they, if they had something else that was not theirs to have, that did not belong to them. And so they, they ended up stealing from God and ate from the tree. So this is the first time that stealing takes place, and it is absolutely not the last. And so you, you don't have to look much further in Scripture uh, to find God's explicit command against stealing in the Ten Commandments. We first see it in Exodus, but we're reading from Deuteronomy, like we said. Um, so the idea, like I said, the command, you shall not steal, is pretty straightforward on the surface. And, and while, while the scope or significance of the theft itself might change, a lot of us, a lot of us tend to think of stealing as, uh, as just... Like we boil it down to just taking, taking something from another person or from another entity that wasn't yours to begin with. You have a thing, I want the thing, I'm going to take the thing. <clears throat> uh, maybe that's as menial as, as a kid who sees another kid in his class who has a pencil that's just way cooler than his. And he's like, I need that pencil. So he takes it. Or maybe it's as big as like an Ocean's Eleven style heist where you steal $160 million from a casino owner, hypothetically. Uh, it's a great movie if you haven't seen it. But the concept is the same. The concept behind both of those actions is the same. Taking something from someone that does not belong to you. Um, I read one author who put it this way. He described theft as practical idolatry. He said theft is practical idolatry. So stealing is essentially the external outworking of our internal idolatries. It's when we get to the point of acting on whatever we have idolized in our hearts. And if you remember, again, back to the beginning of this series, we talked about how if you lie or you cheat or you steal or if you break any of the commandments that we have talked about, it is ultimately because at least in that moment, you have decided that something is more important to you than God. That is at the, that is at the nature of disobeying these commands. Something is more important to you than obeying God in those moments. And that's exactly what happens when we end up stealing. So I don't, I don't want us to think about stealing too narrowly uh, for, for our purposes today, but also for life in general. I, I would argue that God's command against stealing is actually much broader than many of us tend to think. And so I want to spend a little time unpacking a few ways uh, that I think this command actually applies to us that we may not think about every day. And I'm going to hit a few different ones, and, and there's certainly going to be more than just the ones that I'm listing off today, but I, I want these to serve as an example so that you can start looking a little bit deeper in your life. So I think most, or I, I would argue probably all different forms of stealing can actually fit into two main categories or two main motivations for stealing. And those are stealing through greed and stealing through laziness. And, and we'll get to each of those. So the first, stealing through greed. Um, so stealing through greed includes uh, arguably the most obvious form of stealing. That's what we've been talking about so far. To me, it's like the classic kind of stealing. Uh, it truly embodies the mindset of you lose, I gain. So you have something, I want it, I'm taking it. You lost it, I got it. That's, that's what is at the root of stealing through greed. This would be like blatant theft of items or money. Um, so for example, 
What is a story? What is a, no, a sermon without personal examples? Um, for for example, part of my time in college, um, I had what we will call loose convictions in regards to interactions with large companies. There's way too much to unpack with all of that, uh, but I'm going to get specific about part of it. Uh, one semester, I had a early morning class, Monday, Wednesday, Friday, three days a week. I was late to sign up for classes, so I got stuck with those three-day-a-week, 8 a.m.s. It was tragic. Anyways, I, on the way to that class, um, I would pass an Einstein Bagel Brothers store on campus. And they had a coffee bar in this Einstein. And you would go, you would pay for your coffee, you would get your cup, you would go to the coffee bar, you'd get what you want, do all your, all your fixings. Um, it was busy in the morning, and I saw that as a huge advantage. So I took my own cup with me every day, and I went to Einstein's on the way to class, and I walked around the line, and I filled up my coffee cup, and I went on my merry way. Three days a week, every week for an entire semester. I, uh, I decided that that company was in a position where they could afford to be stolen from far more easily than I could afford to buy mediocre coffee three days a week. So I did. That's what I did. I went and I took it every single day. I was basically like a modern-day Robin Hood, right? I was uh, <laughs> taking from the rich to give to the poor. Um, it was pretty, pretty cool. But I, I wanted to gain something. That was, at the, that was at the root of it. And they had to lose something in order for me to gain it. And just because Robin Hood seems like a, a really cool guy, you know, he's doing awesome stuff for the poor, he's still stealing, right? And so that's a super obvious example. I, I fully confess to all of you that I did steal a lot of coffee. Uh, I don't do that anymore, for the record. I just want everyone to know that. It's been a long time. But, but if you think critically about it, greed is often much sneakier than, than just walking up and just snatching something from somebody. It can be a lot sneakier than that. We actually see a few different spots in the Old Testament when, when we see this idea of stealing expanded on and, and described in more detail and some of the, the things that would be prohibited along with this command to not steal. So that would include things like what Scripture calls inaccurate measurements or cheating through schemes. And so in biblical times, and, and honestly in some parts of the world still today, uh, some merchants or vendors, people selling things, would, would have scales with physical weights and measures. And so they knew how much their stuff cost. They would put stuff on the scales. They would balance it out. They would say, oh, you want three pounds of this? This is three pounds in weights. That's how much it costs. And so inaccurate measurements uh, was actually when, when people would take weights that looked like the weight they were supposed to be, and they would either hollow them out or they would make them out of a different material so they didn't weigh the right amount. And so they could, they could say that something weighed more or less than it actually did in order to get more money from the people who were buying things from them. So, so they were able to charge more and take more money because their measurements were inaccurate. And so that was a form of stealing that was explicitly laid out in Scripture. It's like, Using inaccurate measurements, period, that is stealing. And so today, I think that that could play out in a lot of different ways. I think, I think it could look like maybe consciously overvaluing or overcharging for something that you have because the person you're selling to may not know the value of it. Or maybe you are, are telling people that something is a, is a better quality than it actually is, knowingly just trying to get more money off of them or, or profiting off of someone else's ignorance. 
I think, I think that is the equivalent of inaccurate measurements. And I, there's also passages that we see that expand on the definition of stealing by prohibiting people from charging excessive interest on loans. And there are even some passages prohibiting charging any interest at all on certain people because it would cause them undue strain. There's a passage in Deuteronomy 24 that specifically says that you should not take collateral for a loan from someone when all they have is the bare minimum to survive because it would be wrong to make them suffer as a result. There, there, there's passages immediately after that one that actually gives a, a prohibition against underpaying employees that you have or taking advantage of people who are desperate for work or who really need work by giving them less pay than you should or less pay than is fair. All of these things are under the umbrella of, of stealing, according to Scripture. Stealing through greed is what I would say. And, and you can see that at the root of all of these things is that mentality of you lose, I gain. All of those things function out of that same mentality. And like I said, it's not just ancient practices. It's not just biblical times. There are plenty of modern equivalents to these things. Some, some I think, are, in, are much more obvious than others. Uh, so if you are in a position of, of being responsible for hiring or for paying employees, underpaying them to keep extra money for yourself falls into this category. Now, there's not an exact number of what underpaying is, but that would fall into this category. Charging people astronomically high interest or using predatory lending techniques or predatory variable interest rates, all these different things that we see in different companies today to make more profit off of people would fall into this category. Places like, like payday loans and, and title loan companies that, that operate based on this. So would any kind of dishonest business practice that we see today, like false advertising, for example. So this is marketing in a way that makes people believe that whatever you are selling does something that it won't actually do. So they end up not getting what they think that they are paying for. Now they're out however much they paid for that, even though they only bought it in the first place because they believed it would do something it wouldn't because you told them that it would, and the other person ends up getting more money as a result. You lose, I gain. This would include overselling people on things that they don't need. So maybe going out of your way to try to convince people that they need to buy or need to pay for something that, that they don't actually need just so you can make more money off of them which is pretty much exactly how modern advertising works, right? And I, this one takes a little bit of clarification, obviously. I think uh, because some people, I know some people in this room work in advertising and in sales. That is absolutely not an inherently bad field. It's not a bad thing to do at its core. There are people here whose job it is to convince people to pay for certain things, and there are absolutely contexts where there is no problem with that at all. If your job requires you to sell something to people that they need and you just have other competition that you are trying to outsell, there's nothing wrong with trying to convince people to buy yours. As long as you're not lying to them about it and what it does or what it may do. Some people sell things that they're passionate about. Something that they believe truly this person's life would be better if they had it. I want to, I want to convince them that they do need it because I think that they do. 
I, I think that you can, you can go for it. Within reason, obviously, use Scripture as your filter like we do f- for everything. But th- the command against stealing, based on my understanding, does not prohibit you being passionate about something or doing your job well. It does not. So please, keep on doing those things. Be passionate. Do well at your job. Absolutely. But I do think that it prohibits what we talked about a second ago, like false advertising or overselling people on things that they, that they don't actually need, that you know they don't need. Those kinds of things. And, and if you are in a workplace where, where you are pushed to or even required to do some of those things, like I know people who say, hey, my boss told me if I don't meet a certain quota of selling this thing that I don't think people need, I'm, I'm going to lose my job. I do think on some level, obedience to this command would be to exclude yourself from those practices. And that may sound a bit extreme, but sometimes obedience does mean going against the current around you to the point where you need to get out of it to live obediently. That is the reality of our lives. And another way of stealing through greed, I think in our culture today, um, in a way that really mirrors a lot of some, some things that we see in the Old Testament, uh, is, through, is through fraud. So we would see, I think the two biggest areas would be uh, tax fraud and insurance fraud. We see those a lot today. I actually read a recent study that said, they polled, I forget how many Americans, but they said one in five people, 20% of people said that it is totally fine to lie about your smoking habits so that you could pay less on health insurance. So people who either smoke or don't smoke, it didn't matter. They were like, absolutely lie about it. Pay less on your insurance. 25% of people polled said that it is completely fine to lie in your income tax returns to avoid paying taxes. Regardless of your personal opinions on taxes, we live in a country where there is a federal income tax. And according to Scripture, intentionally avoiding it or, or lying about some of those things in order to, to keep more money for yourself would fall under this command to not steal. Yes, the government has way more money than you do, way more money than I do. And they certainly don't always seem to use it in the ways that we think that they should. But again, the Robin Hood approach just doesn't justify it. It is still stealing. Some of of these things may be relatable to you. Uh, I acknowledge those are some pretty specific examples. Um, I felt like I should uh, save the most challenging one for last in this category. Um, And by most challenging, I always think of this through the lens of myself because I'm writing this stuff, and so that's the only point of reference that I have. Uh, So this one is is one of the most challenging for me, and and not the tax fraud one for, sorry, the one I'm about to give you. (laughs) I file my taxes every year. I think scripture also includes a a lack of generosity in this category. A lack of generosity to to the church or to those who are a part of the church or a lack of generosity to to people who are in need around you. Um, Malachi chapter 3 verse 8 says this. uh, This is God communicating with his people. It says, will a mere mortal rob God? Yet you rob me. But you ask, how are we robbing you? In tithes and offerings. And they were withholding their tithes and their offerings to the Lord, and and he called them out and he said, you're actually robbing me. And and just for context for you, tithing in this context is not not a one-to-one comparison to tithing today where we say, 
give money to your local church. This is not me saying you have to give money to the local church or you're stealing from God. I'm not, I'm not drawing a one-to-one conclusion. But at, at the time, the understanding was that everything that you have belongs to God. And so using those things in a way that does not consider what God would have you do with them would be stealing from him. So we also see, again, in Deuteronomy 24, we see instructions that specifically tells people to leave any extra crops in your field after your first pass of harvesting. Do not go back a second time and collect it. It says that you are meant to leave that so that people who don't have enough can come behind you and they can take it for themselves. Scripture says the extra belongs to the poor. It is for them. In fact, according to Scripture, like I just said, Everything ultimately belongs to God. So whatever we have, we are just to steward it for his purposes. Everything that we have, everything that we own is God's to begin with, and we are given it so that we can use it for his purposes. So whenever we don't do what he says to do with it, we are essentially robbing him, it says. And this one is is particularly hard for me, not because I dislike being generous, or I feel like I want to hoard all of my money. I very much enjoy being generous. It's tough for me because my sinful tendency is to think of generosity as a badge of honor for myself. Uh, it's, it's because I think I have done an action that deserves praise, whether that's praise from someone else or just me patting myself on the back. I, I don't want to think of generosity as something that I, that I should do because it's what God wants. I want to think of it as something that I can congratulate myself for. I I certainly don't want to think of not being generous as stealing. I I don't want to think about that because deep down, I want credit. I want credit for doing it. Which, if we're being honest, is just another form of stealing by trying to take some of the glory that is due to God. And I know that there are plenty more examples that we can put in that category. I hope this just gets you thinking about the idea. Uh, But for the sake of time, we need to move on. So the second category is stealing through laziness. Stealing through laziness. Um, I would love to not talk about this. Honestly. Uh, Other than my coffee larceny days, I tend to think I do decently well with not stealing stuff. I do a pretty good job of that. Uh, but, but this one requires a lot more self-reflection and a lot more honesty. Uh, obviously, I cannot speak for everyone. I, I cannot do that. Uh, this, is, this is one that I see a ton in my generation specifically, though, in a few different ways, and other generations, but, uh, but mine in, in a lot of ways. Uh, so one big one that would fall into this category would, would be what's known as time theft. Uh, so time theft, if you are unfamiliar, is essentially doing anything other than your job while you are at work. Uh, anything other than work-related stuff at work. Basically just getting paid to not do your job intentionally. Whatever that other thing is, that would be time theft. So I am, I am not saying that you should not take breaks at work. I am not saying that you should work yourself to death. I am not saying that you should sacrifice your sanity and your humanity for the sake of the corporate machine in which you find yourself a cog. I am not saying that. 
But if you are actively looking for ways to kill time and do as little work as possible and still get paid, I would argue that that is theft. It is. Not, not to mention that it misses so much about what the actual purpose of work is for followers of Jesus. For us, as followers of Jesus, work is not just a place that we show up so that we can collect a paycheck. Our work is actually part of how we partner with God to do something that he made us to do. And we did a whole series on this in the summer of 2020. You should go back and listen to it. I don't have time to dive into more of it now. But that would be, that would be theft lazy, through laziness. In the same vein, I think this would include uh, doing just the bare minimum to get by without getting fired at your job. Uh, like I said, this does not mean breaking your neck for your employer all the time, doing anything and everything to, to just run yourself into the ground. I am not saying that. But if followers of Jesus are called to live in a way that puts Jesus on display, I, I really don't know if I could come up with that convincing of an argument as to how we could justify not being a helpful and reliable presence at work. I don't. I, I don't think that anyone can or should do everything for everyone at, at their job. I don't think that. But I do think that there are most likely things that everyone could do to go above and beyond, to, to be helpful at their job. I do think that there are things that we can all do. There are things that you could be a part of improving at your workplace. There are. I, I know of somebody who, who got a job somewhere and, and they had to wait for a, a security clearance to process. It was a very long, very long process, a lot longer than they expected. So they actually had to wait to start doing what they were hired to do until that was passed, until it was cleared. And this was like months, months upon months. So they were showing up to work, they were sitting there, and they were getting paid to just wait on their security clearance. And their boss knew that. They said, keep showing up and keep getting paid. We're waiting on your security clearance. But it just rubbed them the wrong way. Right? They, they felt like that they were wasting the company's time by, by doing that. So they, they went to their boss and they said, I, I know I can't do what I was hired to do yet. I am aware of that. But I'm just sitting around right now getting money from this company. There are four janitorial closets in our office. They seem to be a mess. I would love to organize them while I'm here. So that's what they did. Their boss was like, that's weird, but okay. But they, they weren't just being an overachiever. They weren't just bored sitting around. They, they felt that they had a responsibility to be productive. They felt like they had a responsibility to put on display the, the fact that, that Jesus has, has given them a way to live that is for the good of those around them. And, and they felt like just sitting there, wasting their time, was not accomplishing that. So they found something to do because they didn't want to just take money. And I understand, I am fully aware, there are jobs where you are told there really is not anything for you to do that is work-related while you were at work. I know people whose bosses say, just bring a book, or bring some headphones, sit around, I'll, I'll tell you when we need you. That is the reality for some people. I understand that. But I would argue you could still be productive with that time. You know, maybe, maybe instead of, of just scrolling TikTok or, or watching Breaking Bad for the fifth time, maybe that's just me, I don't know, uh, 
Maybe you could take that time to, to read a, a book about Jesus. Maybe you could take that time to listen to a sermon series or, or a podcast about following Jesus more deeply with your life. There are productive things that you can do with your time. So being a follower of Jesus should impact every aspect of your life. And if being a follower of Jesus means the core of who you are is changed and the goal of your life is to make him known and become more like him in the process, then your place of work is not exempt from that reality in your life. In fact, just based on the reality that we spend much of our lives at work, your place of work is actually one of the primary places that this should play out. So there are plenty of other ways that we, that we could fall into the, this trap of stealing through laziness. And, and I, again, hope this just gets the ball rolling in your mind of what that looks like. Uh, but, but I think the question is, in, in the grand scheme of things, how do we as followers of Jesus, Jesus faithfully follow the command to not steal? And, and I don't think the solution is just avoidance. I, I don't think that Jesus wants us to just stop short of stealing and then we're good to go. I, I think that, that he actually wants us to figure out how we can live in a way that embodies the polar opposite posture to that of a thief. I think that's what Jesus wants for us. And at the core, I think the solution to that is, is two things. I think it's contentment and generosity. Contentment and generosity, I think, are the solutions. If, if stealing... Is, a, is one practical outworking of idolatry, then the solution has to start with realigning our affections and our identity in Jesus. And so that is where contentment comes from. Contentment comes from Jesus and who he was. We, we look to Jesus as our example in this. Not, not only did Jesus never take anything that did not belong to him, Jesus actually gave up everything that was rightfully his. That could not be more different. We are invited into such a beautiful way of living as followers of Jesus. And generosity from a, from a position of true contentment is such a difficult concept for so many Americans. I, I mentioned this earlier uh, when we're talking about advertising and marketing, but discontentment is the very air we breathe in America. We are constantly being discipled in discontent. You need bigger, you need better, you need flashier, newer, shinier, on and on and on. You need these things. If you want to matter, you need these things. And if that's what we believe... Of course we'll do whatever it takes to get it. If that's, how I, if that's how I matter, if that's how I have value, if that's how I have worth and identity, I'll do whatever I can to have meaning. We will take anything from anyone if it means that we can finally matter. And that might be the gospel of Wall Street, but it is not the gospel of Jesus. It is not. The gospel of Jesus says that the God of the universe looks at you and sees a, a precious daughter and a precious son. Jesus says, I have accomplished everything on your behalf so that you can stand before the Father and be called righteous. That is an unbelievable 
amount of generosity. And, and Jesus invites us to follow in his footsteps in that generosity. As followers of Jesus, every aspect of our lives is infused with purpose. Right? Through the way that we live our lives, we get to put Jesus himself on display to people around us, to the world around us. All of our gifts, all of our abilities, all of our possessions, everything we have is now a tool for us to use to make him known. And while not everyone is called to give everything away, I understand that. Not everyone is called to give everything away. But as Jesus' followers, we are certainly called to use everything to bless others. We are. We see this throughout Scripture, specifically uh, in, in places like 2 Corinthians 9, verse 11. It says, uh, you will be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. And through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. We talk about the idea of generosity a lot here. Uh, but it is, it is truly a, a pillar of the Christian life and a pillar of Christian community. And it has been since the time of the, of the early church that first, that first started after Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. In the first pages of the book of Acts, we, we see descriptions of how the early church formed and how it functioned. And one of the recurring themes that we see over and over again is, is providing financially for one another. Acts 2, 44 to 47 says, All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. Generosity was their way of life. It was not just a thing that they, that they approached sometimes. It was their way of life. No one was in need because everyone was providing for each other. And it says that they had glad and sincere hearts. Right? They, they were not envious of each other's possessions or, or each other's status. They, they didn't need to be motivated by greed or by laziness because they were constantly giving and receiving together. It's such a beautiful reality of, of the cross being lived out. It's a beautiful picture of that generosity. And, and I believe that, that that is one of the main ways that we can fight against the temptation and, and fight against our, our propensity to, to stealing. It's how we can live in obedience to the command not to steal. Uh, there's one pastor and author, his name is R. Kent Hughes, and, and he put it like this. He said, perpetual generosity is a perpetual de-deification of money. And I think that's exactly what we need. We need a, a de-deification of money. We, we need realigned priorities. We need realigned contentment in our identity that was secured by Jesus' work on the cross. That's the starting point for all of this. And so as we, uh, as we begin to wrap up today, um, I want to end things a little different than, than we normally do. Um, instead of a list of some specific habits or practicals or things that you can do today, tomorrow, um, I'll leave those primarily in the categories of contentment and generosity. I think, I think we can 
we can work together to see some of the outworkings of those things. They are absolutely essential in all of this. But I, I want to spend the last part of our time um, just, just pleading with you a little bit. Um, this may not be the general consensus. It might not. But I, I can't help but think a, at least a large portion of you hearing this might respond to the command to not steal something like this. Uh, sounds good. Not currently stealing. Didn't plan on starting. Great. Now I can go about my, go about my week. Right? I'm, I'm actually good. But I think, I think one of the most dangerous places to be is thinking that you don't need to be on guard against something. I do. One of the, one of the cleverest tools of the enemy is convincing you that you are above certain temptations. Convincing you that it would never happen to you. You would never find yourself in that situation. Uh, But like I mentioned at the beginning, this week's teaching went from theoretical to deeply personal pretty quickly in light of recent events. Uh, And and here's the thing. Um, it, It takes a thousand tiny decisions to get you to the place where you make that one big decision. Right? Nobody, nobody wakes up one day and they're like, you know what? I'm going to steal from my brother. Nobody just wakes up and decides to do that. It's a long road to get there. And I, I want you to hear me very clearly say, it can happen to anyone. The, the things that we view as a source of comfort and value in our lives will shape us into the kind of people that will do whatever it takes to secure it. It will. And if you don't believe me, maybe you'll believe Jesus. <laughs> Hard to argue with him. I'm going to put these passages on the screen, uh, but, but I want you to look with me at Matthew 6 first. Matthew six twenty four. This is Jesus giving a sermon on the mount. He says, No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. So Jesus is talking to this large gathered crowd, uh, and among the crowd are Jesus' disciples. His followers are with him. And a few chapters later, in the same account of Jesus' life in Matthew, one of those 12 disciples, one of the 12 people on earth, closest to Jesus, one of the 12 people who lived and ate and ministered with God in the flesh every single day for three years, took 30 pieces of silver in exchange for Jesus' life. Loving money and loving comfort to the point of selling your Savior does not happen overnight. And it certainly just doesn't just happen to people who are far from God. Arguably, no one could have been closer when this happened. So Judas, Judas was a really interesting character uh, for, for many reasons. There's something in particular that stands out to me about, about Judas. Um, Judas is the one who betrayed Jesus, for, for those who don't know. So there's, there's a story actually in the Gospel of John 
It's in, it's in multiple gospels, but there's one account of it in John where a woman comes to Jesus. She pours a bottle of perfume on his feet and she wipes it with, with her hair in an act of humility, in an act of worship. And Judas gets mad about it. He gets big mad. And he, he's, he's angry and he says that he is angry because of how expensive that perfume was. Think about how many poor people we could help if we sold it. This woman is irresponsible, is what Judas said. But, but John actually gives us a little more insight into Judas's heart. Immediately after Judas responds that way, here's what John says in 12.6. says, uh, he, this is Judas, he did not say this because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. As keeper of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. Jesus was not surprised by Judas' love of money. And, and he was not surprised by the road that it would take Judas down. When Jesus gave the Sermon on the Mount, when he gave that message, Judas was sitting right there with him. And Jesus knew that he would watch what he said in verse 24 of that Sermon on the Mount play out right in front of his eyes. Jesus knew that he would watch one of his closest friends Live out the reality of you cannot serve both God and money. Jesus wasn't surprised by what happened, but, but more importantly, he was not defeated by what happened either. The actions of a thief could never overshadow the generosity of our Savior. Jesus' life, death, and resurrection embody the exact opposite of stealing, right? Stealing says, you lose, I gain. And Jesus said, I am going to lose everything so that you all can gain. Jesus gave it all up on the cross so that we could be restored to right relationship with God and we could experience his generosity and his love and his grace overflowing. But but what God is accomplishing does not stop at the cross. It doesn't stop there. God is working and God is moving in unbelievably powerful ways today, despite the realities of theft. We as a church have experienced those realities recently. We've experienced them deeply. And if, I, if I'm completely honest with you, I've actually seen Jesus' character embodied here in some unbelievable ways as a result. I have. I, I have seen, I've seen grace and compassion shown in the face of pain and hurt being caused. I have seen love put on display in the ways that people are interacting with each other. I have seen people wrestle with the realities of their own sin and the damage that it can cause and and. And the gro- I have seen growth and understanding of why confession and repentance are so unbelievably important. I've seen people wrestle with these things in real time. I have seen people turn to and rely on God's strength because they've realized that they cannot sustain themselves. God is doing things here in our church and in us as his followers to align us more with himself as a result of being stolen from. And that will have a massive impact on us for years to come. 
The ways that the Lord is working and shaping us and growing us and molding us will have an impact on us for years. The gospel offers hope for, for the thief, for those who have disobeyed God's commands. The gospel offers hope. But the gospel also offers hope for those who have been stolen from. Because, because God is the focus, because of the reality of what God has done for us and what he is continuing to do in us, our, our identity and our value and, and our contentment, all of those things are secure in Jesus. And I'll, I'll, just, I'll just end with this. I, I, I read one author who put it this way. Um, he said, our father can easily outgive what any thief can steal. So, so what we do every, every week as we end our time together is we, uh, we have the tables open for communion for, for those who are followers of Jesus. And, and what we do in taking communion is, is reminding ourselves of the reality of what Jesus has done. Reminding ourselves of the reality that Jesus gave up everything for you. He sacrificed his body for you. He, he, he took his, your sin on himself and the punishment for your sin on himself. And that's what, we're, that's what we're doing, that's what we're responding to, the reality of that. And that's why we take communion as a, as a physical reminder of the realities of the generosity of our Savior. And so during the next few songs, uh, the tables will be open. We invite you, if you are a follower of Jesus, to, to come and take communion together. Take it with your life group, people who are around you. As, as we respond together to the realities of what Jesus has done for us. Let's pray.